When you're deep in a dark dungeon and the cleric's down and dying And you've taken all the potions you had left And you feel like you are doomed because the demon you set loose is coming after you And you can smell its breath Don't ever give up Hello, welcome to the Roleplaying Exchange. This is Adam and joining me tonight, as always, are my co-hosts Noah and Chris and in case this is the first time, you know, because occasionally the mid-episodes are somebody's first episode, we're an RPG podcast that talks about RPG stuff. Does that <laughs> sum it up? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. succinct. Wow. That's, uh, <laughs> damn, fucking Hemingway over here. <laughs> you know, I think I should probably put that on the iTunes description. I really do. It's like, I think uh, yeah. We are the iceberg principle of role-playing game podcasts. I don't know if if we're allowed to use the term role-playing game in the description of what we're about. Isn't that isn't it like a dictionary? Like you can't use the word describing it to. Yeah, well, to you know, as a, as a former English teacher, I know it's wrong. <laughs> but there was a word that that was an adjective that described what kind of English teacher I was, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Well, anyway, failed. <laughs> I did not fail. I just found an easier way. So <laughs> we digress. Right. So, because that's kind of the basic framework of our, our podcast. So we, we will talk about various role playing topics. And also throughout this podcast, we interspersed usually two a month uh, actual plays. We're kind of getting into that niche. And uh, today we're actually going to be talking about, I would almost say world building, but like, in particular, because we've already talked about world building in general, NPCs, advice on them, like <laughs> memorable ones, tips, tricks, things like that. So, first and foremost, I keep uh, thinking about the get there, buddy. No, I was just thinking. I had a I had a flashback to uh, like old uh, like pretty much video game role playing games where you click on a NPC and it's like, wow. The princess has really been acting strange lately. And then you click the button on them again and they say, wow, the princess has been acting really strange lately. That kind of always broke my immersion in the game. You know, I don't know if you guys had the same complaint about that. Of course, it's impossible to have like an endless loop of shit to say. So what's some of your early NPC moments? Is it, if it be in an actual game or if it is like video games or something like that? Hmm. Uh... Well, if we're doing NPCs that I've played as, like I've um, acted out, I always had a lot of fun making up weird, stupid villains with obsessive reasons to do things. Um, there's just something so fun about someone who is cosmically incompetent. Nice. But yes, so effective to certain degrees. <laughs> How about yourself, Noah? Is there any, anything in that Dark Shadow run vault of yours? Oh, um, yeah. Oh jeez, yeah, Shadowrun. I mean, there's there's been plenty of of NPCs that we've had to interact with. Like, there's the you know the the salty shop owner who, despite selling a menagerie of firearms, is personally a a a pacifist or not necessarily a a pacifist, but a a nonviolent person and nice. who always goes for like the the non or less than lethal options personally. But he'll still sell you, you know, the the big honking sniper rifle that can shoot through schools. So it's if RPPR Aaron was a uh, a gun dealer. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> yeah, I got a teaser. Yeah, no, I carry you know I carry around a, a big ass pistol that just shoots jelly rounds. But uh, if you wanna if you wanna buy any of this other stuff, feel free. I've also had some stuff with like some Warhammer characters. It's usually like all the times like the ones that really stand out are like like information. NPCs like you know the tavern owner, the 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 shopkeeper, things like that. A lot of times, villains don't last very long. Um, uh, then you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Well, sometimes they don't last very long in the scene, just because we so viciously hate them from like a previous scene that we try to get rid of them as soon as possible. So oh, from man. Shadowrun, we actually had a a a hacker who is also a a, a rigger. Who uh, he pilots drones and things like that, and he was just this snotty, like, elite hacker kid, and we just all hated him like immediately. 
Like every time we would run into him, it's like, oh, you, you're going down first. <laughs> nice. So that was pretty much Richard's surrogate. Is that what you were saying? <laughs> uh, he, he did a lot of different characters. Uh, uh, um, I've seen the movie with Bruce Willis. I mean, I, I think Richard was in a safe place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think one of my favorite NPCs I've ever come up with was uh, it, it was a complete spur of the moment thing. It happened in the middle of a fight in my Base Raiders game where uh, um, Sean, one of our players, uh, his character could basically turn technology into other things. And he decided to uh, make a sentient blender. Jesus. <laughs> like, a, like a fucking cash grab Mountain Dew transformer. Okay. Oh, God. But the thing is, he put way too much juice into it, and his power was really, really uh, unstable. So he created this like little fucking malevolent thing named Blendor. He <laughs> just like ran around eating shit, screaming, "It will blend!" <laughs> and nice. escaped into the night. And he is, whenever I run base raiders again, he is automatically going to come back as a villain. Just necessary. Oh God! <laughs> like um, a little psychotic blender with godlike power. So I'll I'll share this, and then we'll we'll move on with the topic. So. When I got back into role playing and Chris welcomed me into the fold of the art, what we call our Sunday group, I jumped into a rain game. And I don't know how many, how deep you were. Were your second season, season with that thing? I'd assume like you, there was a history that I uh, completely missed out on, but I could have been like mid season, mid season at the same time. Like what impressed me the most and. Uh, sticks out with me as an NPC is that our GM Sean had a NPC that apparently everybody had met somewhere else called Crazy Asan. And our now that I'm a member of the group, our party crosses this guy's path and there's this like like it was like a reunion of sorts. Like everybody was having nice in character conversations with this guy and there's in jokes going around and shit like that. And I'm totally clueless. I don't have a clue. Guy seemed cool for an NPC, but I mean, and that, that stuck with me. That that was a nice little bit of icing that the GM put on the cake that otherwise, I mean, that could have been anybody. That could have been, you know, Francis, Francis the vendor, the rat seller. And like the scene could have accomplished, been accomplished just the same way. But giving it that extra level of depth and familiarity really helped with engross the engrossing the players into the plot. So, I mean, so that's, that's the genesis of this, of our conversation tonight is, you know, aside from being tools to move a plot along and stuff like that, how else can we use NPCs to um, immerse our players? So let's return <laughs> before we actually go into talking about some how-tos on how to build an NPC. We've already, I've already mentioned how an NPC can, you know, give a player a level of familiarity with the scene and have a connection and stuff like that. Uh, what other purposes is there that uh, NPCs serve in an RPG game? They add color. They uh, can give you information. They can uh, poke the plot along in certain ways. Yeah. Like they're, they're there to both aid and hinder your, your players and whatever goals that they're, they're trying to, accomplished so hopefully entertain as well yeah. yes i like the concept of npcs as a tool to show players how their their actions are affecting the world so if we were doing like say night's black agents or you know a game that definitely had some sort of mechanic like night black, night's black agents has heat mm -hmm. and so forth so you know, you're, you're contacting a character after a big heist or some stuff like that. And the pressure is on by local law enforcement to catch those dastardly nader, uh, you know, nerdy whales or whatever. And that level of uh, attention is reflected in this man's interactions with you. Helps make the world more vibrant, more alive. Mm hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's always a good thing. Um, with if you have a good NPC, if you have an NPC who changes as time goes on, that's a, a sign of uh, a well-crafted character. But the best NPC is the kind of NPC that you're 
that sticks out in the player's mind. Like I was uh, talking with Aaron about uh, my Unknown Armies game because he's been thinking about running something and uh, he was asking me for tips. And I just sort of offhanded mentioned one of the uh, cops from our first session. He's like, oh, those fuckers. (laughs) Why were they trying to shoot Adam in the desert? That's a good sign. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think any any I mean, even stepping outside of NPCs per se, but any like NPC or or situation or event or whatever that you mentioned to the player and they're like, oh, yeah, those guys are. Oh, yeah. Remember this one time kind of thing. That definitely means that you're you're on a a successful path for the most part. If they ever say that asshole or that son of a bitch, you know, you've done right. Exactly. So. We could definitely tell the value of these characters in our games. How do you make them? Because I can t- I can tell you right now what I kind of what I kind of think of when I'm planning them out. Now, whenever it comes to on the fly, I kind of condense everything down to say one simple thing. But like on the fly, how do you make them? Like, what what thoughts go into consideration? Do you you know? Uh, I mean, it depends on, on what role that you're trying to fulfill. Like, if it's somebody that's just there to be a a little bit of flavor on the the shopping trip for for characters. So if you're having them go out and buy things, maybe have, like, kind of a, a weird cashier. There's there's all sorts of people in retail, so you can always... Oh, yeah, retail um, is always a gold mine. Yeah. If you've ever worked in or just been around retail long enough, you can always pull some, some good... Uh, some good examples to use for like cashiers or, or stock people and things like that. Um, Did I ever tell you guys about the guy I used to work with at Publix who um, was sent to Houston to star in an Obamacare ad and then two weeks later was fired from stealing from the Publix? Yes, what? maybe that insurance. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry, please, please continue. I've not heard this story. Okay, so his name was Josh, a really nice guy. Uh, <laughs> Grand I got along with kind of nice. Yeah, I got along with him really well. He's like, yeah, no, uh, I had I have uh, pancreatic cancer, so that we had to remove my pancreas. I'm cancer free now, but uh, I wouldn't have been able to afford that without Obamacare. So I was contacted by them and sent to uh, they they sent me to Houston. They paid me. I got a free trip, and I just had just had to tell my story. And uh, so that happened about two weeks later. I was watching Hulu and the Obamacare commercial came up with him in it. (laughs) So I'm like, holy shit. So I texted him like, holy shit, dude, I just saw he's like, oh, yeah, man, we'll talk about it tomorrow. And I go into work the next day like, hey, where's Josh? Oh, uh, we had to call the police on him. He's stolen roughly six hundred dollars worth of food over the last month. He's yeah. Like, oh, okay. So there's an NPC. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cancerous dick. You know, that title also sounds like a... Uh, oh, jeez. That's a, that's a good let's title. Let's not go there. Yeah, let's not talk about that. Because <laughs> I wasn't thinking, like, dick is, you know, adjective. I was thinking now. I don't want to go there. Now, well, I'm then. Bubba, no, now I'm thinking of Bubba Hotep, and I'm okay. Thanks, Chris. It's brought back good memories. I mean, that's a good movie. It is but a good movie. You're saying that like it's a bad thing. Yeah, Alex Royas is a treasure. <laughs> so here's here's the thing with my take on it. Last night I ran a game uh, we on our playtest of uh, Delta Green Worm, Wormwood Arena. Playing this, I was playing an NPC called Don Hawkins. So his was kind of a definite easy. Well, it was already statted out for me anyway, like how he was like motivations and stuff like that, quirks and all that. But this character was nervous. This character didn't understand the law or anything like that. So was very insecure. And when presenting that character to you all, I've tr- I tried my best to get a, get across that I'm way over my head kind of stuff. I would try, I would make conscious efforts to kind of talk fast, kind of talk, you know, correct myself constantly stuff like that little mannerisms that i would try to add into my voice and stuff like that and you know that that's how i try to create that character and i hope i hope to kind of got that got that point across it's just knowing what your person needs knowing what they uh 
what's bothering them. <laughs> you know, says, for example, I'm stuck working with the FBI and quirks. Shoot. Was the, the Trail Cthulhu game Last Things Last? No, that's, yeah. um, uh, that's, that's also Delta Green. Yeah. Okay. Not Last Things Last. What was the one? The Final Revelation. I can remember listening to the actual play, of the, the actual play that RPPR did of that one. And there was a character in the, in the episode with the birds. I can't remember which one that was. Oh, God, those birds, those fucking birds. Not just that, but like his character would just like when the Caleb Stokes was uh, playing this NPC that had definitely nervous ticks, but when he like inhaling through his mouth real quick, kind of a wet kind of, yeah, yeah kind of thing like that. And that you know, things like that really stick out too. The, those kind of quirks. And stuff like that. Yeah, it's it's always important to have something that you can go back to with a character. Like, uh, for example, in the Better Angels game I'm playing in that Noah's running, my mm-hmm. character has severe anxiety. Yes, yes, he does. Sweet. And always come. Yeah, it's it's fun. It's real fun playing somebody with almost as bad anxiety as I have. For all of our listeners out there, please check out our um, fellow. Podcasters, technical difficulties, the technical dif- technical difficulties, role playing podcast. I think it's the the full title, isn't it? Uh, yes. Gaming podcast. Gaming podcast. Pardon me. So, so, I'm a horrible friend. I'll edit that out so <laughs> I don't sound like a pastor. But <laughs> nope, leave it in. Yep. Well, they, yeah, they they listen to us occasionally. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm I'm running I'm running them uh, I'm running them through No Soul Left Behind, which hopefully we should have another game. And you guys uh, will get the the. I'm sorry to interrupt. Please continue after I say this. So. I'm also an NPC apparently in that game, so you can. <laughs> I was just about to bring that up. Is <laughs> um, I'm I'm trying to work on some of the the NPCs, and I'm I'm going to have to like really buckle down and figure out how to be Adam Thornsburg, English <laughs> or computer science teacher with an English degree, with an English degree, and and no soul left behind. So this this right. is, this will be interesting. We got to think of some atomisms. <laughs> yeah, you need to you need to send me some weird. Kentucky in like turns of phrases. Well, if two dudes get into a fight in his uh, classroom, he has to stop it by set- yelling "Love wins." <laughs> I broke up fights by doing that, Noah. Okay, I'll, I'll have to remember that. <laughs> so, either I'm going to find this immensely enjoyable, or, or I'm immensely gonna... insulting. Yeah, I mean, um, you are you are my weed man in that. In that... <laughs> it's it's less Adam Thornsburg and more the cartoon character. Adam yeah. <laughs> so I'm not Super Dave Osborne, the real man, but I'm Super Dave Osborne, the cartoon character. Okay. I yeah, got... yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, but uh, one of my my favorite NPCs in that is the the principal, just because he is very much here. I need you to do this thing. Bye. Like, <laughs> just speak really fast. Try to make sure that nobody actually understood what you said. And then just have the character run out of the room as quickly as possible. It's almost like you've actually been in an education system, sir. <laughs> it's strange because I haven't really. Uh, to to aid in your uh, betterment of that character, I do recommend you go look up some educational buzzwords and just throw them in there. Because I, I really should, yeah. The ones that use them don't even understand them and stuff like that. So, you know, just so differentiated instruction, you know, just, just throw out shit like that. Okay. Uh, You need a PLC for your praxis exam, you know, just letters. Anyway, I digress. I'm getting sidetracked on that. I mean, we, we really need to think about a new pedagogy. How about this? Which one comes first? Does the scene, like, do you create the scene or the, the setting or do you create the characters and build the scene around them? Like, what's what's the relationship when you're creating your NPCs? It really depends. Um, I have some NPCs that are specifically morality pets or levers or something like that. For example, uh, in the Unknown Armies game I'm running, uh, Darth's character, Harry, has a sister. And uh, she is the only person he really listens to in his family because she's the only person who loves him. So I came up with I came up with a character for her initially of who she is, what she does, and how she affects him. Mm-hmm. So she's the one who will come to his house to see when he like he's half destroyed and convince him to go to rehab. Uh, other characters in that game are a little more off the cuff, like uh, that weird ass uh, sorority girl. I'm gonna kill her. Yeah. Oh no, she's she's very <laughs> plot important too. <laughs> no. That's kind of the running gag of that entire game, Noah. After 
I saw her. I said I was going to kill her, and I just <laughs> I know I'm going to have to kill her. But <laughs> sounds kind of psychotic. Oh, but that's the character I'm playing. <laughs> yeah, you're playing that's, an unknown armies character. I say you're playing unknown armies. <laughs> uh, so, Chris. I know that you had something in particular you wanted to add on this here. Uh, when you're fleshing out a personality of an NPC, what's your, what steps do you go through? Oh, yeah. Um, so if I want to make an actual like re- recurring character, I play a lot of games that deal with moral decay and violence. So I always ask these five questions. How does the person respond to everything going their way? So, like, you wake up. You find $20 in your pocket, then someone gives you a bus pass uh, for free, and uh, you don't. You end up at work early and get a raise. How do, they, how do they feel when they betray someone's trust? Because in any game with moral decay, lies happen. How do they react when their life is in danger? So panic, buckle down, freak out, all that fun stuff. And how do they act when they want something from you? And what would they do when a loved one is in danger? These are all sort of these are all sort of a moral motive questions, but even nothing is an answer because it gives you an idea of how a person acts in extreme situations and you can sort of play that out. Yeah. It, it really gives me like weird fleshed out ideas. Like when I came up with the sorority girl, part of my idea was just saying very, very filthy things to uh, the Buddhist monk. <laughs> and he did. Yeah. She became she became more of a motive force after I thought about these five questions. I can't uh, really go into any more details right now. No, because no, we're we're playing we're playing said game. No, how about you? What's what's your uh, process? Well, I haven't really had a chance to to do a lot of like original games so far. Like mm-hmm. um, most of the NPCs that you guys have interacted with in any of my games have been like pre-described characters. So it's just a matter of kind of trying to get into what whatever information is given to me, trying to uh, flesh that out a little bit and trying to make sure that I give those characters a, a, a voice and have them react in, in particular ways. And I usually kind of fall back on like archetypes for the most part, because I, I want a lot of you guys just kind of interact with each other in most of the games that I've run. So like, a big one is like, you know, the kind of unsure teenager or the uncaring teenager who's just stuck behind the counter as you guys are doing things. The kind of inquisitive character who, when like you're doing an investigation, like is kind of over your shoulder for the most part. They try to ask like as many questions as possible and things like that. So things like that just kind of come with these kind of core archetypes that you'd see in like a show or a movie or a game and just yeah. kind of. Use that as a baseline. Yeah, archetypes are a great tool for creating any kind of character there. I mean, we, we already know them, even if you don't really think about it. You know, the the, the stupid jock, the yeah. pure and pristine girl, the, the snooty tech support guy. Like, you've met them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, archetypes exist. I mean, I you've guess- got, you know, at least one pretentious hipster on this podcast. We have a, a, a hillbilly pretentious hipster and a weeb in this call right now i, I, I think we can we're, we're all i mean the weeb's certain, the worst i know isn't it <laughs> jeez adam uh, god damn it adam well I, i'm a i'm a i'm a hybrid you know it's like i'm yeah. like a subclass you know like a sword a sword's Swordsman that knows magic and shit like that. I mean, I, a high functioning weeb. I made I made a fate <laughs> uh-huh. state reference last night, and the other weebs in the game got it. Oh, uh, jeez! I was talking. You're about a. Uh, I can't make a, a, a portmanteau out of hillbilly and weeaboo. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was trying. A weeabilly? Yeah, yeah, that works. He forgets. See, the accent leads him off. Like he doesn't expect it, Chris. Like and we it's were so true. <laughs> We've gone over this before, but like I keep forgetting that you're like a secret weeaboo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I dro- I drop jaws at Gen Con. I like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you're a teenage boy living with your sexy aunt because your parents <laughs> died because that's what happens in Japan when you're 13. And <laughs> no, they work overseas. Duh. Oh, a different one. No, no, no. One dies, the other works overseas. Yes. So your dad works overseas, your mother died of the consumption. Um, no, no, she died from smiling with her eyes closed while a braid was over her shoulder. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? I forgot <laughs> all the memories of my childhood because of a fever, and there's a girl that secretly likes me, and I don't understand it. Never mind. Ah, <laughs> uh, My... My best friend, who's a girl who I've lived next to all my life, is my secret love interest. <laughs> These See, are the great. sad part is, I don't even fucking watch anime, and I know all this shit because I'm media oversaturated. Yeah, no, it's cultural osmosis at this point. <laughs> if you, please chime in in the comments section if you would like our Patreon bonus episodes to be us discussing we, uh, <laughs> anime. Yeah, I'll totally do that. God damn it, I'm already on a Working on a podcast about reading bad books. Don't fucking force me to watch anime, too. No, Chris, this is going to be a love letter to anime. We're not going to have you sitting here being Oscar the fucking ground. like, scram! I'll start you out on some on some small six-episode series, and then we'll work our way up from there. I will never watch JoJo. Did never. You? That's not a six-episode series, sir. But I will never watch JoJo. Wait, and you should totally watch JoJo. It's so good. You can't start at JoJo, Chris. You got to work your way up. It's like learning guitar. It's not like, oh, here's a G, here's a C, here's a D, here's Hendrix version, and then Star Spangled Banner. You don't immediately jump at the yes, all right? <laughs> you know. But we digress. <laughs> We're doing a lot of digressing. No, it's all good. That's our catchphrase, basically. Well, Adam's catchphrase. <laughs> we digress. So, more or less. If you're looking for looking for a good method to progress um, your world along archetypes, definitely can't go wrong there. Usually, there's an archetype to fit almost any kind of scene. And if you want to just break it down to the most core functions, which we've kind of already hinted at here, but a single core motivation. You're playing the character who is uh, the lady at the end who is serving drinks. How would this lady at the end feel? If she's had her ass pinched for the past two hours during happy hour and she hates everyone in a bar with a deep seated, you know, loathing and stuff like that, how would you play that person out? Well, you know, obviously, uh, if our, if our characters, our player characters are getting there, like after like those two hours of her being constantly harassed, she's, she's obviously going to be pretty short with them and, and take no, take no shit from anybody else if, if it keeps going on. Oh no, I would I would actually go the other way around. Like I I would play her as dead inside. Like, oh hey, honey. How are you today? <laughs> so oh, she's a, a waffle, waffle house waitress. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like <laughs> she she will she, push the, the half orc out the door while holding a full tankard of mead. <laughs> <laughs> she works for tips. <laughs> That would be oh, great, yeah. and we, we've we've all been to the drunken waffle house late night kind of deal. You've got you've got that general kind of feel to it there. I mean, yeah. you don't you don't go to Waffle House. You end up at Waffle House. <laughs> yes, dude. The pecan waffles are pretty fucking good now. <laughs> is is Waffle House in Unknown Armies? Is that a thing? It's not. Waffle yet. House is Unknown Armies. <laughs> I'm about to say. Oh, no, we got kicked out of the Waffle House in Unknown Armies. <laughs> you did. I forgot that part. Yeah, we're, they we're, got kicked we out of the Waffle House, the IHOP, and the Denny's. They are now going to a restaurant that's a Mexican restaurant called The Devil's Chicken. Yeah. <laughs> Not well, El Pollo Diablo. Oh, oh, it's just The Devil's Chicken. Yeah. <laughs> it's are a- there any Hispanic people working in this Mexican restaurant? <laughs> they haven't looked around, and that's probably for the best. <laughs> Oh, God. Goodness. Now, with that being said, guys, NPCs are they're kind of hard to plan for. If you have a couple of big ones that you know you need, what do you do? Do you stat those out, or is that just kind of fodder in the back of your head? What do you, how do you handle that kind of issue? Um, 
like like statting out like as a character sheet kind of statting out. Yeah, and do you do you go? Well, obviously, you're probably not going to go to full extent like every item in inventory. You may mention one or two things. It's not going to be a full character sheet. But like, how when you are making up a game and you are making up NPCs that you know these characters are going to interact with, what level of detail is advisable for uh, situations? I would. I mean, I would say like if it's a character that could potentially become a combatant. Can, Considering a a I'm, I'm doing air quotes here a reasonable group like if it's a character that that isn't going to be in combat I would just focus on like giving them some social skills like if they're supposed to be like really charming have them have like a higher persuade or charm or whatever skill if they're supposed to be kind of grody or intimidating giving them like a high intimidate things like that and if they're supposed to be like a potential ally that they can use for like combat situations, making sure that they have, they're a little bit more fleshed out. So they actually have like full on hit points and, and combat skills that are appropriate to their character, things like that. If your NPC needs stats, then you're, your NPC wrong. In my mind, these things, they, they're, they're symbolic entities. They are there to, uh, impart story and work things out that way. You can't, you can have characters that you want to fight and you can make villains and all that, but, an actual non-player character in this case would be someone who's there to fit a narrative arc. Okay. I mean, uh, keep in mind, I also play games where if you need if you need to make a, a um, an NPC, it takes a minute at most. Yeah. Red Markets is really awesome with that. Yeah. I've noticed. Red Markets is great. Unknown Armies, the third edition is great. Uh, even Better Angels is pretty good about that. Yeah, you can figure out how a person works, and then just sort of mark things off, and that's how they do it. But if we're talking about a crunchier system like Eclipse Phase, I guess, uh, yeah, no, you need to you need to set out stat out the big guns, like the the people who are driving the plot and who you know you're going to have to kill one day. But yeah, like 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 villains and 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 things like that, yeah. definitely. But I mean, for like a like a, a basic character, you shouldn't ever have to do like a full-on character sheet. Just you know, do some I, averaging of numbers for like certain skills and and kind of go yeah. off that. I mean, I'm honestly kind of against social skills on NPCs because I, I feel like social interaction should be player facing. That's true. I guess I was I was yeah I, I was guess I I kind of meant more in the like if you're using like a fixer or a go between or something along those lines, but. And what well, what would you as the GM roll? Why would you roll? How, how does how does their chance of failure affect the story in a plot interesting way? Wouldn't it be more I, interesting to decide if they fail or if they succeed? I say either way, as long as you have something like something that will advance the story and make it interesting, it's a win win. I mean, I guess, but shouldn't these sorts of chancy things be in the players' hands, not ours? We're telling. We're telling a story. We're not. Yeah, we we're players, but we're players on a different not not the not above them, but a different. We're playing a different game than the than the players are. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't thought about it like that. I try not to make it combative. I'm also the guy that <laughs> has been accused of being a, the nice GM. But yeah, no, I, I don't. I don't make my games combative. I yeah. I have a reputation as a harsh GM because I. Don't roll. I have I base my rolls off of the other people. Also, I yeah. laugh when people get hurt. <laughs> so here's here's kind of my catch-all for uh, when designing. Uh, you know, the big ones definitely. Just you know, you have an idea. Just like Noah said, may not do out an entire sheet, but I've got the basic idea and stats of how they can handle it. But I also usually try to create three characters that are blank, just a general template, you know, depending on the game. So, you know, say for example, like in last night's game, they already did this for me, but so I didn't have to make it myself, but I had general stats for like the cultists that you guys were going up against. I also had the individual stats for the cult leaders and stuff like that. So, you know, and I sometimes I would su- I would substitute this stuff over. So if, say for example, if a character becomes a bigger importance than I imagined them, 
if I'm on the fly trying to go real quick, I'll find the closest NPC that I have sat it out to that and just kind of use that as a, uh, as a uh, starting point. At least something to look at, get an idea in like the blink of an eye. And then if I think that their charisma, oh God, this is a Waffle House waitress. She's been there for years. The grease is actually caked on her. She's become one with the grease off of the She's more grease than woman at this point. Then, you know, I'm going to knock her charisma down, things like that. Now, I will go ahead and tell you, and you know this, but the people out there in internet land, bless you folks, uh, may not be aware of this, but so as I've began my path as a game master, I've went from plotting every single thing out, which is the way to madness, by the way. <laughs> yes, to it is. The point that the first game I played with Chris, I had flowcharts. I went ahead and it was a nice, easy, quick reference, but that thing quickly becomes something you're married to. But I'd have flow charts like, okay, you go here, you see this. These are the, these are the clues from here. Logically, you may end up going here or going here. And it like, it was handy for me to familiarize myself with what I was going to run, but too much work and not very applicable. So I asked you guys this past spring, maybe last spring early summer, I decided I was going to run a Dirty World game. Read the book. Thought I was cool. Focused more on the story, less on the rules, and that kind of killed me there, too. But I sat it out. I shit you not. I sat it out like 15 NPCs. Holy shit. That's, wow. that's impressive. I had stats for every one of those fuckers you were talking to. I had them all. Now, some of them were kind of generic and moved over and stuff like that, and I found myself, I spent so much time working on that, that whenever the game first had contact with NPCs, I mean PCs, it fell apart. And I had way too much written down. I mean, if you had wanted to talk to Uncle Joseph, God damn it. I, I had Uncle Joseph, like this is his, his, you know, what was, it, what was it called? The combat system? What would you call it? Uh, social combat? Mm-hmm. Like I, so I had all those dots all lined out for all fifteen of those people, but I went too crazy with that, and that's kind of why, at this point in time, you know, big ones definitely things that scenes revolve around. I'll stat them, and then the rest of the time, if you decide to make somebody big, if I don't end up substituting somebody else's comparable stats for them, I'll just go over the general, generic kind of stuff. That's a good way of doing it. It's. That's the coolest part, folks, about picking up on this hobby. Your first game's going to be a goddamn train wreck. It's going to be a haunting. And yeah, it's it's your first game is never going to go well. If you yeah. have a game that goes even close to decent, you are the exception to the rule. This is very much true. And I don't even want to think about my first game. <laughs> And and it's not even always your first game either. Like you're gonna have games that don't go well that are are you're either over prep for or under prep for or you know your players just suck things like, like that. So things you just can't anticipate for. And I tried to I tried to make up for these um, insecurities with over prep and stuff like that. And it helped to various degrees, but at the end of the day, it's just. Getting up and doing this. So, NPCs, if you have to pull something out of the top of your, like, if you're playing something that's not swords and sorcery, it's even easier. Like, you know, all of a sudden, yeah, I want to talk to the clerk, uh, at the, at the grocery store. Uh, well, hello. Her name is, okay, girl went to high school with Heather Ellis. Okay, Heather. This is Heather, blah, blah, blah. And I'll just even kind of go with that and stuff. But, you know, I wouldn't be too freaked out if you had to pull an NPC out of, out of the cracker. You know, I want that's kind of crude there. But if you didn't, if you had to pull them out of the ether of space, because we're not explicit at all. No, that's true. I did finally get our explicit tag on the podcast. I figured out. I know it. It only took what almost a year, six months. I mean, it took me it took me six months to figure out we were listed as clean. (laughs) Wow, ooh, that's bad. That's real bad. You don't set it in iTunes. You set it at your feed distributor and all that and i forgot i had one i'm like well it just goes from here to here no it's it's convoluted but 
I digress. So clearly we have to bleep every single time I've said no, 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 pretty no, much no. anything. Just I mean, bleep me. If you go back in time, you can listen to those fucks and know that they're they're properly cataloged and <laughs> accounted for fucks, you know. <laughs> and the fucks that we're doing today, these fucks are legal. So, so would you good like, to know. Would you like to get any fucks out of the way real quick? Just like now that you can breathe a sigh of relief knowing that the man. So man. let's let's just all fuck together. Okay. And he killed it. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> so any npc horror stories otherwise i'd like to move on yes i do have an npc horror story okay so i've the very first time i met mika darth our uh resident problem player it was in a monsters and other childish things game uh the guy was running road trip the cursed campaign yeah that campaign is damn <laughs> Uh, and he decided he came up with this really cool, get, really cool dude named Purple, who was anime as fuck. Okay. And uh, like we we finished up the first, the very first like arc of the game. We like you know went to the we did the like oh we're all at school we figured things out and then now we're going to I think it was the farm. Uh, doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, this was uh there there was like a long boring exchange between NPCs like the two main NPCs about how the farm is like oh we have to work together now and that happens the cultists show up to kill the world tree and we get it all solved when this dude dressed entirely in purple with a scythe shows up to kill the main bad guy Who's eat his this? soul uh, Sam. Oh, okay. Yeah. Eat his soul. And, uh, you're like, hey guys, what's up? And it was the most disempowering thing you can do to players. Just introduce this weird ass Mary Sue of a character who's following you and is like, maybe bad, maybe good, you don't know. Ah, oh, god damn. That was I my main complaint with, but with Angel from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, too. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was Angel. He was an angel. He was an angel. Yeah, definitely. I can I can see how that the big hero comes in and saves the day. Yeah, that just lets the air out of the tires, so to speak. Worse, after we had already done all the work. And that's, you know, if we're talking about other podcasts, hopefully everyone's uh, kind of versed with what's out there. I, I know Chris and I are big fans of the Adventure Zone podcast, and that's uh, one of the common complaints that I've heard people like at least on the earlier episodes and stuff like that, that the NPCs would come in and super powered and stuff like that. And they may not completely save the day, but uh, I don't know if I call them Mary Sue's or anything like that, but it kind of, I don't know, takes I don't away even, player agency. Yeah. I don't even yeah. think about that as a role playing podcast. It's a dumb comedy podcast and I love it for that. Oh, it's, it's, it's good. Um, stuff. Let's, uh, let's talk about the, the, the Mary Sue NPC. Real quick, that does that is, does have merit. So uh, there are several adventures, pre-published adventures that have like the GM character. Oh, I know where this is going. Please keep going. Maybe <laughs> I, I don't know if you do. Um, so there there are characters that are pre-described as being like sort of the actual story character. Yeah, that's, that that's always your, bad. Yeah, that your PCs are there to do stuff, and then this character will show up every now and then to like help them out or like do the actual thing that they're supposed to do. Like they're the actual chosen one. Um, I know there was a character in the original Deadlands Classic. There was a three three part campaign, like each scenario or like a couple of scenarios was like packaged into a single book, and there's a character. Who I think comes back from the future to help your PCs defeat one of the big bads in the setting. And it's just, it's so bad because she does not need to be there. Like, she's just there to be like, oh yeah, I take care of the, the actual problem, even though this character isn't supposed to be statted because he's an unstoppable death machine. Um, yeah, I'm here to, to, yeah. I'm here to be the the you know the anathema 
to this character. Um, and I've seen some some people review that scenario and say like, no, this is terrible. Just just take her out. You know, she she died in the time portal or whatever happens, and you get her stuff or something. So there's there's plenty of times where there's characters in scenarios that just don't need to be there. You can easily spread that information out into other characters, or even just depower them so they're not stronger than your NPC or stronger than your your players. They they show up for like a scene to kind of point them in the right direction, and then that's it. They're they're not there to to overpower or be the the forefront. You as a GM need to make sure that your players are the heroes. Make sure that they feel like they're the ones in charge. They're the ones doing the thing that they're supposed to be doing. And you, as a GM, don't try and take that away from them by making a particular character. Basically, for yourself to, to be your, your self-insert or, or whatever. It's the worst. It's, it's so terrible. All right, guys. Uh, we need to make a note here. Because I am about to talk shit about Unknown Armies. Oh, what? So is this, is this like I edit this out note? <laughs> this, no, no, no. This is like a note in history. Yeah, oh, okay. this is this is the the oh shit. We never thought this was gonna happen. All right, Chris, let's you know kill your babies. Go. There is a character in first and second edition of Unknown Armies called the Comte de Saint Germain. Oh yeah. Oh boy, I've heard of him. He uh is a physical god. And due to the way it's written, he can literally show up in every scene in any game forever. Because he can look like anything and be anything, and he's an immortal fucking god. The introductory the introductory game to Unknown Armies, the one that you're supposed to show to people to say, like, hey, this is this real weird game that's, like, dark and violent. Occult. They specifically mention who the Comte de Saint Germain is supposed to be in each scene, even the scene where it's like a like a fucked up bank robbery at a gas station. It's like, oh, this little kid over here is actually the Comte de Saint Germain in in disguise. Wow. Does it ever come into play or is it just no. like No, never. But they're there, and that's important. That wow. is the ultimate Mary Sue. Pretty much, yeah. Oh, you see a kid. Oh, you see this person. Oh, you see that person. And then you eventually fuck with people because, you know, like there's going to be key words that every single player picks up on. Mm-hmm. Like, ooh, this is a hint. So, yeah, that gets you nowhere. It's not even that because it never comes up in game. It never comes up anywhere. It's just the GM has to know that the Comte de Saint Germain is watching. Oh, yeah, it just that sounds pretty terrible. So I was also thinking of some other like kind of Mary Sue characters because there's there are games that have that are very sort of meta plot heavy, um, and depending on like your style and stuff like that, you can you can kind of ignore a lot of that. Um, Shadowrun is the the example that I I think of probably the most. Well, there there's a lot of meta plot, but because you are the characters that are on the street level, like 99% of the times it rarely ever actually matters, but there's a character in Shadowrun called Harlequin. That's Harlequin. never a good sign. Harlequin is an immortal elf. He has been around for thousands of years. So the way Shadowrun works is that there's, there's worlds. Uh, so there's the fourth world, the fifth world, the sixth world, we would be in the, the fifth world, or we would have been in the fifth world up until 2012. And then 20, 2012, Mayan Apocalypse, all that stuff, it becomes the sixth world. And that's when magic comes back into the world. Uh, he reveals himself again, and he's, he's effectively immortal. He's been around since the fourth world, which is like a couple thousand years. But he, depending on how you play him as a GM, he can be either a character that just kind of randomly shows up to like, taunt your characters or give them a job for like this one thing that he has like a particular goal in mind way off in the other side of the world kind of deal. Or you can play him as the, the default sort of like Mary Sue, I'm going to come in and solve all of the problems kind of situation. So there are ways you can play those sorts of characters as a not Mary Sue and as a Mary Sue and try, try not to do that. It's it just, it just brings the whole thing down. Yeah. 
the main thrust is never disempower your players. Yeah, exactly. If you want to have somebody come in to save the day, don't. Instead, give them have somebody come in to give them the tools to save it for themselves. Also, accept the fact that there may be a TPK or something like that. And oh god, yeah, I'm looking forward. To I that. watched they live yesterday, which is very appropriate considering what happened, and <laughs> nobody makes it out of that movie. <laughs> John Carpenter, that's kind of a recurring theme with him. But that's horror for you. But it's true. It's uh, Snake hey. Plissken always lives. Shut yeah, up. Snake Plissken lives. Uh, also, Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. God bless you, Kurt Russell. God bless you. <laughs> but yeah. Keith David nor Rowdy Roddy Piper make it out of that movie. <laughs> no. But they still, they. they still succeed, but they, 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 they die while doing it. Yeah. And... You need a charge of the light brigade occasionally yeah. to do stuff. And, you know, that's, that's kind of a nice little revelation here. If, you know, if you got to kind of spoon feed somebody and have an NPC jump in there and save the day and stuff like that, then, I mean, what's the point in playing with dice at that point? Why don't you just sit down and do a, compa- do a uh, storytelling session together? And I'm not trying to make it seem condescending, but. What do you got against Amber Diceless? That does sound I, I have read about that. It does sound interesting for that purpose. And there's nothing wrong with those types of games. I mean, I still want to play a silent I, I want to play a, a quiet year or a silent year. What's it called? A quiet year. Quiet year. I think I, that's cool. I, I, mean, I mean, I still really want to play Dead Inside. I think that would be an interesting game. Well, so it looks like that's about all the time we have for this evening. I would like to thank my co-hosts, Chris and Noah, for spending this nice, beautiful Saturday evening with me. Thanks, guys. You're welcome. Oh, we're cordial, we are. All right. Uh, you can reach us at RPX Exchange uh, on Twitter. Uh, you can find us at RoleplayingExchange.com. And uh, our our uh, theme song is uh, Critical Hit by Ghost Mice. And once again, we did not think this through. Wow, you took it all. <laughs> Goodbye. Not all fights are won by skill, some are won by luck. Don't ever give in. You've got to keep on trying till you lose or you win. Cross your fingers, roll the die. Wait with hope for the big 2-0. Cross your fingers, roll the die. Let it go, let it go, let it go. Let it roll, let it roll.